Welcome to the Horizon Church Podcast. God is doing incredible things in Tampa. Learn more about us at horizontampabay.com. We hope you find today's message inspiring and encouraging. Let's dive in. Good morning. I'm Erica Allen. Okay, yep, we're just going to, just let me get this thing off. Sorry. Can the band come back up and play some more songs for just a second? (laughs) Um, Sorry. All right, I'm hurrying. Here, we'll just do it this way. Okay, this is not working. (laughs) Oh my gosh, (laughs) y'all. This is awful. Okay. Chris, can you pray or something? Lord, have mercy. All right, that part is over. Um, If this is your first time here, I am so very sorry that this is your introduction. We keep it real here. Um, That's all I have to say. All right, this morning we are actually starting a new series called In Order. Um, Does anybody feel like their life feels a little chaotic and out of order (laughs) this morning? We're going to talk about that um, and how God really does want to restore order in our lives. So if there are some of you here this morning who feel like your life is chaotic and out of order, I'm here to tell you we don't have to wait until January to get things back in order. We have a God who is ready to restore order in our lives right now. A couple weeks ago, Chris and I took our children to Myaka River State Park. We stayed in a cabin. We went camping Um, Our children are almost two and almost three, so they were, you know, a one and a two-year-old. We were going to camp in a cabin there at Myaka River State Park. I was, like, super excited. Chris had some apprehension, maybe rightly so, once we got there. Um, So we got there at dinner time. The kids had dinner. We were trying really hard to stay on a routine. My kids go to bed right at 7, so we lay them down to go to bed. It was a few minutes after 7, and at 11.30, Both of them finally gave up and went to sleep. It was over four hours of them in a one-room cabin, like giggling, laughing, screaming, crying, talking, exploring the cabin, like just doing whatever it is they wanted to do for literally four hours. And Chris, they finally go to sleep, and Chris is like, do not move, do not breathe, do not speak. They are finally asleep. And I, like, remember as I dozed off to sleep just praying, God, let them just sleep a little late in the morning so that we can make up for this four hours. Y'all know what happens when kids go to bed late, though. They don't sleep later. Um, They get up earlier. So at 5 a.m., David was like in my face, good morning, mommy. We're still at the cabin. I'm like, yes, I am aware we are still at the cabin. So we like got breakfast. Eventually, like we're now we're having to like drag things out because the kids got up so early. Things were like just like completely out of order and chaotic. We were going to go on this boat ride at 9 o'clock, which was four hours after they got up. I imagined this boat ride was going to be fun, but this boat, like, literally drove one mile an hour. It was hot. We're in the sun. There's no breeze. We're supposed to be looking at the alligators. My kids were not interested in alligators because in the middle of the day, they just sit there. They don't do anything fun or exciting. My kids were, like, running all over this boat with these older people who just wanted to, like, take pictures of the birds and the gators. It was like 
just things were unraveling quickly. We then get on a bike to ride back to our cabin. The kids have this little trailer that I put them in. They're like fighting with each other in the trailer, like pinching each other, pulling each other's hair, screaming again. I had to literally stop like four times in the half mile between the boat and the cabin. And we get back and Chris was like, Erica, this was a brilliant idea. I was like, yes, I'm aware that this was not the smartest idea I had. He was like, we have got to reestablish order right now. And I'm like, we're going to get right back on schedule right now. We're going to have lunch. And he's like, no, we are reestablishing order right now. We're not eating some campfire lunch. Get the kids in the car seats. I saw Chick-fil-A 10 miles down the road. We're going to Chick-fil-A, and we are reestablishing order in this, in this house. Then the kids will take a nap in the car seat. If I have to ride all over Sarasota, the kids are going to take a two-hour nap. So it, it was just a reminder to me this week when I was talking about reestablishing order. We also took zero pictures of this because when we tell the kids about their first camping trip, you all will not spill the beans that we didn't actually camp the whole time. And we left the state park for fast food. That will not be part of the story we tell them. Um, but this week as I was studying about how God wants to reestablish order in our lives, I was reminded of that moment when Chris was like, we have to reestablish order right now. We're not waiting until tonight when they, get all, they keep getting off schedule. We're not going to let things get even more and more out of control. We're reestablishing order right now. And this is our invitation in the, over the next three weeks from God. If your life feels chaotic and out of order, do not wait until January. That's two and a half months away. What does it look like right now for you to offer God your life, your chaotic and messy life, and let God restore some order in your life? This is where I am in my own life. It's mid-October. My laundry is way behind. My room is a mess. I've not been eating well. I've not been exercising like I'm supposed to. And if I'm really honest with you, I've not been praying and reading my Bible like I'm supposed to. Things have just slowly gotten out of order the last two and a half months. And my life and my relationships and my priorities are suffering because of it. And this morning, I want you to know that we serve a God who loves us so much that this is not the way that God wants us to live our lives. God wants us to live lives that, that feel orderly so that we can... We can experience purpose and meaning so we can do the things that really matter, shine light and ignite change. So wherever you are this morning, if your life is all in order and you're ready to go, I still hope God will offer you something this morning. But for those of you who may be here a little more like me this morning and not sure like how you're even, you're just kind of in survival mode, I, God's going to offer something else, something different to us this morning. Um, we're going to look over the next three, three weeks at Proverbs. Um, it's a book in the Bible that specifically was written to help folks establish order in their lives when things have gotten out of order. So if you feel like things are really out of order in your life, I invite you over the next month, there's 31 chapters in Proverbs, so in 31 days you can complete it. Just one day, a week, every day, just read a chapter of Proverbs. I'm going to start doing that tomorrow morning, so if you all want to join me, um, we're, we'll just read a book. It's a it's a book in the Old Testament. It's called Wisdom Literature. It just offers these sort of one or two sentence sayings or proverbs that give you some wisdom, some, some ways to reorder, recenter your life. It's wisdom from God for us to recenter and reorder our chaotic lives. In a world that was telling folks to do more, read more, learn more, do more, serve more, do this more, 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 Proverbs offers a, a little different wisdom. It, it helps you understand how you can have life um, experience life a little different. 
so I'm going to read to you the first in, uh, part of Proverbs. It's called the purpose and theme. So you'll know sort of what it's about, and then we'll get into the rest of what we're going to talk about today. So Proverbs 1, verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction. So this book is for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, for doing what is right and just and fair. Do you feel like it, it's just hard to figure out sometimes what to do, what is right and just and fair? This book helps us to do that. For giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. So not just experience can give you wisdom and knowledge, but, but reading this... It, Really understanding what, what is offered here gives knowledge and discretion even to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. And let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. And then this is the whole purpose of this book. It, it's wrapped up in this verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Some um, translations say wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. I think we look at that word fear sometimes and we're like, oh, be like really afraid of God or what God will do. That is not the invitation of fear. That's not how this word is supposed to, mean, supposed to be. What, what fear means is it, it doesn't mean be scared or, or fearful. It means acknowledge God's presence and God's power. So just acknowledge that that presence and power has the power to reorder our lives. And if we're really honest, even on the days with our hearts in the very best places, offering the very best intention, we still wind up making a mess out of things often, don't we? This book, this thing, this what we're invited to this morning is to really hand over the, our lives that we can't, we just can't. Con we can't order it in a way that makes sense by ourselves to hand that order over to a God who wants to offer us something different this morning. We're going to admit our lives are out of order, and we can't keep doing this on our own. And if we're honest, right, our best efforts are, are even making a mess out of things. But God has the power to reorder our lives. So let's look at what that looks like to give that power to God this morning. The first thing that we are going to look at this, more, this week over the next um, three weeks that causes a lot of chaos and disorder in, in our lives is finances. And I'll just tell you that I've never been more nervous to preach a sermon. I have never, ever talked about finances in a sermon. I have been a pastor for 10 years, and I have never, ever, ever talked about finances in a sermon. It makes me a nervous wreck. This morning, though, I want you all to take a good deep breath with me. We are not going to talk about tithing and giving to Horizon. We are going to talk about, we are going to talk about our financial health. And I do believe that as we follow God, follow Jesus' Jesus's love in our lives, I believe that, that part of our financial health is that we give and tithe to the church. We'll talk about that. But this morning what we're mainly going to talk about is how our money does not have power over our lives anymore. I was raised by a single mom. The very first thing I remember about money is there was never enough. And you don't talk about it because it's dark and it's shameful and it's hard to talk about. We, I remember my mom like literally having like gut-wrenching pain as we as we like looked at our school supply list sometimes because we she like literally didn't know how we were going to make it sometimes in those early days. So I know that when we come to this, we are talking about something that has a lot of power over our lives. Like it had the power to make my mom, who's one of the strongest women I know, like be scared and tremble. Um, 
I, I recognize that. I recognize that some of you have all kinds of relationships with finances. And so this morning, we're just going to talk about how when we give our lives over to God to create some order so we can shine light and ignite change, how God takes that power that money has over us, God takes that power from money and takes it for God to help us be people who can shine light and ignite change. Um, I, I, I just want you to know that I I've had lots of experiences with folks um, talk to me about finances. I am in a a young professionals group uh, through the Chamber of Commerce here in Tampa, and every single time that we meet and have a conversation about something we could do, um, some volunteering or something, I I watch these young people get, like, super excited about some things, and I'm like, why why are you, like, a CPA? Why don't you go do that thing you're really excited about? Like, lead a nonprofit that does that, and they have this insurmountable student debt, and they just can't make that leap yet. Um, I I know... I worked in a community as a pastor of retirees, and I literally once a week I had folks who were retired who would come in and literally with like tears streaming down their face, they would say like, we don't know like if we're going to have enough money until the end of our lives. Like we don't know what we're going to do for our kids. Like we don't want to leave nothing behind. We don't want to be troubled, but we don't know how we're going to make it. I recognize that people are here in all kinds of different situations this morning, and I just want to tell you there is hope. God does not want money to have this power and control over our lives. So we're going to talk about three mistakes, three sort of things that we do in our financial lives that get us in the the situation where money has a lot of power over us, and then what it is that God invites us to do um, so that we can experience more health around our finances. The first mistake that, they, that we make, if you have your Bible and you want to turn to Proverbs, this first verse is Proverbs 1, 19, and it says, Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. Some translations say, such are the paths of all who are greedy, because greed is the selfish desire for something is often very closely connected with ill-gotten gain, right? We don't, when we start to, to gain money, maybe you, you're not even getting the money unethically, but what else are you compromising to get more and more and more money? Is it time with your family or people you love? Is it, is it time praying or, or reading scripture? What, what is greed? Greed might not necessarily just mean you're robbing money, but, but it robs your time because greed will ultimately rob you of the life that you want to live. It will ultimately rob you of the, the deep things that you want in your life. It, it's, I told Chris it was so funny this week that I was, I was reading and I just kept thinking like money, more, more, more money gives you more, more, more. But what I've learned when I was reading these Proverbs it is, is this money like actually begins to rob you of the very things that you think it will offer, security and peace, sustainability, right, and joy. Greed will, will rob you of that. The second thing that the second mistake that we often do is failure to plan. Um, so in Proverbs 21, I'm sorry, I'm going to be turning a lot today because these verses aren't necessarily in order. So Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent add to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. So the second thing that we do is we fail to plan. We hastily plan and we get stuck in this survival mode before we even know what's happening. Um, and then 
it, it steals your ability to dream. You can't dream of what might be next or what God might be calling you to do next. It, it robs you of your ability to dream. So Christmas is coming up, and I know that in the holidays is a time that a lot of people start to think about how they're going to spend their money right now. Go home today and think about, like, this is what I'm going to spend my money on the next little bit of the year. Um, do not wait until January 2020 to decide that you're going to come up with a plan of how you're going to live your life because failing to plan ahead, failing to refu- or refusing to develop a budget or a framework that will help you like work within what, what you can afford and can't afford, it, that puts you in survival mode. I thought for a long time that planning ahead meant I would put all these apples in a basket that I really didn't have. I really wouldn't know like what, what was going to happen. No, planning ahead begins to to just have enough there for you to think about, like, this is the means that I can have. If you don't do that, you start operating in survival mode. So it becomes day to day to day, and you're not dreaming about what it is God might actually want to do with you in your life. This is, I took a course on poverty once in um, seminary, and one of the things that um, a finance professor came in and said is one of the deepest and darkest things about poverty is it it steals the ability of people to dream that they they get so stuck into to survival mode like where their next meal is going to come from that they, they forget how to to dream they they can't think about shining light and igniting change because they're only thinking about survival. And when we're not planning ahead, we begin to start operating like that. So your second mistake is failure to plan. So an easy fix here is just sit down and start to budget and think about how you're going to allot the money that you do. Chris and I have been doing that, um, and I don't always stick to it, but it helps us to understand what we can and can't do, and it gives us more freedom. Um, this last mistake that we're going to talk about is a really hard one and I just want y'all to hear me Chris and I have a mortgage we are in debt it is it is hard 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 to live without debt right now and I get that but I want you to read what the Bible says about debt the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender debt robs us of freedom I said we have mortgage, a mortgage, but I began to understand that like we don't just own our house, our house owns us. Everything we think about is how we can make that house payment, how we can do what it is that we need to do. I meet with young professionals, I told you this, and they're thinking about how to get out of student debt because what's holding them back from making a courageous transition is, is this student debt. Some of our very best friends in adulthood have over $100,000 of student debt. And she, I, I remember the day that my friend looked at me with tears running down her face because her, her parents declared bankruptcy as a child. And she said, I feel like I'm going to live this same path if we don't get this under control. Do not carry the darkness of weight and, and the weight of shame around debt around anymore. Because what Proverbs tells us is it will like literally box us in, right? We can't be free to be who it is we want to be or who it is God wants us to be when we are in debt. I recognize that some of us have to be in debt to own our home and, and, and move towards those things. But how do we figure out ways to limit the things that we are spending our money on so that we aren't in debt? Because God does not want us living boxed in unfree lives. God's deepest desires and purpose for us is to shine light and ignite change freely and abundantly with joy and happiness.
So are y'all ready to hear what God does offer us for our, um, for our financial health? Um, generosity. God asks us to be generous. In Proverbs 11, verse 25. Sorry, it's going to take just. In Proverbs 11, 25, it says, A generous person will prosper. Listen to this. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Anyone here longing to feel a little bit of refreshment this morning? Longing to feel new and refreshed? Are you stressed, exhausted, angry, depleted, desperate, hopeless? Are you longing for something refreshing this morning? Then God says, be generous with something. Not all of us right now can be generous with our money because we've, we've messed up these other three things and we've got, to, we've got to trust those to let God get those back in order. But what does it look like to be generous with your words today? Tell someone something nice who doesn't deserve it. Practice, start practicing there. What does it look like to be generous with your time? Start there if your finances aren't quite ready for it yet. Be generous with, with your talents. Invest in something beyond yourself. And then, what does it look like to be generous with our money? If you want it to lose its power over your life, and you are ready to live freely with the reckless love of, of God, you want that to have the power, then, then begin to be generous. So often for my life, what I found is that being generous is the last thing I do with my time, with my talent, with my treasure. I um, brought an apple up here this morning um, because this is refreshing to me and so often I get paid and the first thing I do is pay my Netflix bill right we have some Netflix fans in here right pay my car payment I don't think about how this was actually going to work <laughs> um what are other things that we spend our money on, right? Our, our house payment. Sorry, this is a lot of apple. <laughs> yes, go to the grocery store and eat food. Okay, just pretend like... Just pretend like this is only an apple core now. <laughs> um... But even if it's not, who wants a half-eaten apple? Do you, any of you want this? No. You Be generous with what you have first. Oh, good catch, Chris. I'm going to throw one more. Um, no, Bobby, you're not getting it. <laughs> oh, oh, good. Be generous with what you have now. It's, it is refreshing. Be generous first. Don't make it be the last thing that you do. I was talking about what I was going to talk about this week with our children's director, and she told me this story about when she was 16. Um, Jana was raised by a single dad, and when she was 16, a neighbor invited her to come to church with her at, at their church. It's a small town, Calhoun, Georgia. It's a small Baptist church. She said, please come with me to church. They didn't have any children's ministry volunteers 
And Jana didn't have a lot of extra time on her hands, but she said, I'll volunteer in the children's ministry. Jana knew nothing about Jesus. She, had, she didn't grow up in church. She didn't know a whole lot, but she said that, that they were like, you are 16 and you can handle this group of three and four-year-olds. Would you please <laughs> consider like giving of your time generously on a Sunday morning for an hour and help lead this children's ministry? And so every Sunday, Jana was generous with the one thing she had, time. There wasn't a lot of money. But she was generous with her time and her talent. Every Sunday she showed up and gave to these kids. She said what she, what she learned when she kept teaching these kids is she started to encounter the generous love of Jesus. And she realized that you could come not knowing everything, not having a whole lot, and that, that somehow Jesus could use her to teach little kids about Jesus anyway. And she said they were so, the kids were always so generous and kind to me at a time when I didn't always know what I wanted to do next, at a time when I, always, I didn't always know like, that I actually had something to offer to the world. These little three- and four-year-olds told me how generous and how loving I was. And I got to tell them that you live in a world where people say you get love by doing X, Y, and Z, but that's not how Jesus' love works. You just have to show up because we serve a Jesus who offers us a generous love. Jana told me this story as our babies were playing on the floor at a play date, and I came home and I told Chris, I was like, she's going to be our children's minister in a year when we need one, and I did. I called her back a year later, and we don't offer a super generous salary, but I said, would you consider Jana being generous one more time? And teaching kids in our community what it looks like to love Jesus. And she said, yes, Erica, and this is why I'm going to do that. Because one of my very favorite verses in the Bible is Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Jesus looks at people and he says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. She said, I'm going to make sure that I put my treasure in the kids of South Tampa. That they will know about a Jesus who loves them generously. And she said, and, and what's more, Erica, is this is what I think is going to happen. That they are going to start loving others generously because that's what happens when you begin to understand and accept and experience Jesus' love. You begin to experience the generosity. You begin to share that generous love with others. And right now, we've not, the last three Sundays, we've not had a Sunday with less than 40 kids this whole month. Because she is teaching them generously how to love others. She needs some help, too. Can some of you be generous on Sunday mornings? Do you have an hour where you can be generous? I was talking to a woman yesterday at Fall Fest who's volunteered every single Sunday with our children's ministry the last couple months. And she says she goes home and watches the message on her computer later in the day when her kids are taking a nap. So, but she understands that where her treasure is, her heart is also. If it's, not, if it's not that, what is some place or some way you could be generous today, tomorrow, and the next day? How is generosity the first thing we're thinking about and not the left, whatever is left over? Because nobody wants your half-eaten apples. God can still do something with it. But if you really want to shine light and ignite change, start offering your best first. Start being generous with your best first. When I was reading, when Jana was telling me that her favorite verse was Jesus' words about where your treasure is, your heart is also, I couldn't help but think that Jesus was betrayed for 12 shekels of silver. He understood, right, what it was like to be betrayed for money. And I watched myself figure out ways to, to comfort myself with money or other things instead of serving God. 
And so I just ask you this morning, what does it look like for you to let go of the power that money has on your life and give that power to God who desperately wants to reorder your life in a way that helps you shine light and ignite change for a world that needs it? Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for your generous love for us. For those of us this morning who are depleted and feel like we can't be generous with anything because we are exhausted and empty this morning, God, remind us that even when we come empty, your generous love is enough for us. And beyond our wildest dreams, we'll still offer so, you will use it to offer something to the world through us. Thank you for your generous love for us. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Horizon Church Podcast. If you are in the Tampa area, consider joining us one Sunday. You can also be a part of shining light and igniting change by financially supporting the ministries of Horizon Church at horizontampabay.com giving. Thank you again for joining us.